Hello, Unruffled listeners. So we have produced a year's worth of content and have approximately 125,000 downloads to date. We can hardly believe it. We would like to give you, our listeners, the opportunity to help us continue to put out quality, meaningful content, but we have a big ask. We are both mothers and creative soulmates. We are multi-passionate and have many projects going on at once and feel like this is the right time to ask for some support. We talk a lot on our show about valuing your creative work and it's time we walk our talk. This is where you come in. So we've set up a Patreon account and your generous Patreon donations will help us to pay for hosting fees, better equipment, and assist us in our dedication to keep showing up here every week. In the future, we hope to take our show on the road and offer creative workshops in select cities across the United States, maybe even interview a few of our guests in person. In order to make any of this happen, we foresee the need to generate some revenue from the show. We believe that our listeners want to support us, so we're hoping that you can help us make these dreams become a reality. Our ask isn't huge. We're some sensible girls, right? We're really just asking for a dollar pledge per episode. That's $4 a month, less than a large decaf vanilla latte from Starbucks. A total steal, if you ask me. We'd love to offer some perks in the future, but first we need to get this campaign off the ground. We can circle back and check with you all later in the year to see what, if any, perks sound good to you. And we're just so grateful for our listeners, and we hope that we continue to earn your support. You can find our campaign on patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thanks, guys. The recovery revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 55. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Sandra? Good morning, Tammy. How's it going for you all the way over in Austin? I'm all right. A little sad this morning, but besides that, I know, I know. Just um, I don't know. Maybe you can relate to this. Um, maybe our listeners can relate to this. But um, you know, as parents, we are like shock absorbers for our children. Mm. And um, I honestly don't know any other way to be. I don't know if I want to be another way. Um, because I think that that's just comes with being a parent, you know, you, we love our children and we don't want them to suffer or get hurt or physically or emotionally. And, um, I, I, sometimes I feel that way. I came up with that word this morning. It's like, I feel like I, I'm a shock absorber and after a while it becomes so much that 
uh, I feel like I can't absorb anymore, you know, and until I have a good cry or I don't know, shake my fists to the universe or whatever. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, so that happened this morning. (laughs) So I had to, I had to, had to use some tools from my toolbox. Yeah. And not that I needed to get over it because sometimes I think we don't need to get over it. We just need to let it be. To feel it, yeah. Yeah. And so I put on one of my favorite albums, which is the soundtrack for Pretty in Pink. Uh-huh. And hula hooped for about, through about three songs. <laughs> Aw, I love it. <laughs> I like that you knew that you knew like that's the tool that I'm gonna try on for size this morning. Right. Well, Music the, and movement. The toolbox, like, yeah, it does change. It's not just this stagnant thing, right? And it also like maybe we don't pull out the hula hoop every day, but um maybe the proverbial one, like just uh, staying in your hula hoop and it can it can change what you need for whatever you need. I'm sorry that you're feeling sad. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. My kid, uh, had an audition, which it was appropriate because we are speaking, um, to our friend Andrea today, who is a performing artist, but, um, he had an audition yesterday and it was just rough. He didn't feel prepared. And, Mm. and, and then a couple of days before that, my daughter fell. So she like got physically hurt and it was one of those things like she bumped her head so hard. And, um, you know, it was one of those things while like, wow, this could have gone very differently than it did. You know, she could have had more than just a big giant goose egg. Um, you know, those things, they just build up after a little bit. And again, I don't know if I can be any other way. I don't know if I want to be any other way. I don't know if I want to be the kind of parent that doesn't take on the emotions of my children. It's like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, um, like you said, though, that's like when you said shock absorbers, I was like, yeah, it's just it reverberates, right? Everything that they're feeling, you feel, yeah. you, you, get, yeah. you kind of, it's bouncing off of you. Um, yeah. Um, whether they want that to happen or not, like my kid doesn't want me to have any access to his emotions. And just that act right there is me all over it. You know, I feel it all when he's pushing me away or when he doesn't, doesn't want to share which I know is not what you're saying your experience has just been, but just their emotions, you feel them. Yeah. No I mean, how they come. yeah, we share a home, we share DNA, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> you, I can't not, um, you know, maybe that says something about me and my codependence or my boundaries or whatever, but I, you know, again, I mean, I'm sure there will be a time when I won't feel it as acutely, you know, when they're not, when we're not all under the same roof. I don't know though. I don't know. I don't know. My mom even just called me yesterday, heartbroken about something over my brother. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's just, it's part of the, you know, it comes with the job description when you sign up as a parent. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, there's no off switch or it's, it's never that you're done with it. Mm Mm-mm. No. 
Well, it's like a so full, that's you, it. You get the full range of emotions. Um, that's what we're experiencing. You know, it's not all the good highs and the happiness or whatever that means for somebody. Like we get to feel it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, again, I'm, I am, can be miss positivity, but, um, you know, it's, there's definitely, there's a, there's a, there's a shadow side Mm -hmm. and I, to deny it only makes it worse or it makes it pop up in ways that, you know, maybe you're not so healthy. Yeah. Have you listened to the new Rich Roll podcast with Dr. Susan David? On a I did show? listen to that. Mm-hmm. I, I did listen to that. that. I actually, powerful. yeah, it was good. I actually had, I hadn't realized just by her name when you had mentioned it earlier, I hadn't realized that, uh, I had seen her TED talk oh, already. Yeah. Or at least parts of it, maybe yeah. clip of it. And that's maybe. what, when you're just but, telling me right now how you're feeling, it, it just made me think about what she was saying. Just like all the full range of it, like that you get to. It's like the price, would she say the price of admission for a meaningful life is feeling these things, you know? Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then you're right. It's what you do about it. I mean, I could have just gone back to bed and, but that wouldn't have felt good. That wouldn't have felt right. That, um, you know, I certainly am not going to drink over it. And, uh, that never even occurred to me. Mm -hmm. That would have occurred to me though. Um, a couple of years ago. Uh, so, you know, hula hooping, um, felt pretty good. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Um, back in the day, I won a hula hooping contest at a bar. Surprise, surprise. Uh, when I first started dating my husband, um, and so he, um, I was very proud of this fact. This again, this was like at the beginning of my drinking, Sandra. So I was like, "Oh, I want to, I want a hula hooping contest at the bar last night. I'm a really good hula hooper." And we used to mail each other really bizarre things because we dated long distance. Uh huh. So he mailed me this box of bizarre things, and then inside there was this picture of this girl, um, a little girl with like pigtails and ringlets, kind of like Cindy from the Brady Bunch, and she was hula hooping. And he kind of like wrote some funny things on it. And it's like that our courting was a lot of correspondence at that time since we didn't live near each other. And uh, oh, yeah, I love it. Hula hooping days. Um, they, they do change your mood, especially when you're drinking. Yeah. Um, and, and especially when you're not drinking, <laughs> like very different kind of. Um, but there is an elation from uh, that, that occurs from just that circle. Right. That kind of swirling it around. Yeah. Inside of it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but yeah, there's I I I do I do get get a little joy from it. So good. Yeah. Um, so that's it. I was gonna tell you a funny story, a short little story. Um, I'm turning into the girl. Do you remember from American Pie? Then she's like that one time at band camp. You know uh-huh. that girl. <laughs> Uh-huh. So I was out to dinner with my husband and my son, and I said, they were talking about fear, and I said, oh, there's this Rich Roll podcast where he interviewed this guy um, who didn't have the fear gene, and my son, very kind of straight-faced to me, said, he said, Rich Roll has a podcast? And then I looked back at him really seriously, <laughs> and I said, 
yeah. I said, Grady, yeah, it's what we were listening to the other day in the car. And he was, and he starts laughing really hard. He goes, yeah, I know yeah, he has so a podcast, you're, mom. <laughs> you're the one who quotes Rich Roll podcasts. That's what I do. You have a, too. you have a Rich Roll association for. Right. Everything. For every conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here, this is, this is the part that I think you're going to really enjoy. This is the part I think you're really going to enjoy. So I said, I'm, I'm at first feeling really earnest though. Like, but yeah, I'm like, Grady, he's like an ultra athlete and he, he's 51 years old and he's like one of the most fit men in the world. And I'm going on, like, I need to like promote rich role. And mm-hmm. then I look over at my husband's who's to the left of me and I put my hand on his arm because my husband has a very, he works out all the time, has a very nice body. And I put my hand on, on Steve's arm and I said, and your father is the most fit 53 year old that I know. And my husband doesn't say a word. He just holds up his hand and holds up four fingers. Like he's not 53, he's 54. Actually 54. Uh-huh. And, my, and Grady goes, Wow, Dad, how does that feel that mom knows Rich Roll's age, but not yours? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, feels really good, Grady. Feels really awesome. <laughs> he just kind of shakes his head, and we keep continuing on with the night. And I'm sitting there, and I was just laughing. And I was like, I, who am I? <laughs> The girl who does not exercise, um, who is not plant-based, who does not do yoga. Who am I to just, you know, to just uh, follow ritual? Okay, so it just made me laugh really hard. And I was like, okay, my kid's got my number and I need to quit saying, but then I just said it to you and it just reminded me that I'm that one time at ritual band camp. <laughs> That is hilarious. <laughs> so now I got to be careful. No, I don't. I'm not going to be careful. I don't care. I'll let you some ritual. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but that does now, every time I say it, I'm going to be like, oh, there she goes again. There she goes again. Mm. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay. Good. I'm glad it made you laugh. I was hoping that it would. <laughs> yeah, it did. That did. That did. I can see, oh, uh, I can like feel the eye rolling going, <laughs> that was going on. Which is my husband's <laughs> silent, like holding up the number four, like with his fingers, like, mm, yeah, you got my age wrong. Sweet. <laughs> this is what 20 years together looks like, people. This is it. He's so lucky. He's so, so lucky. <laughs> Oh, okay, that's, well, good. Yes. <laughs> Got that out of the way. Got my rich roll out of the way. We'll do that at every intro. I'll bring rich roll in. It'll be really, okay. really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it can be your, yeah, the rich roll moment. <laughs> As I'm just staring at his stories while he's swimming. Oh, oh, am I on? Am I on? Okay, I was a little distracted by my rich roll <laughs> images on my phone. Anyhow. <laughs> Okay, I don't know how to segue from that. <laughs> I don't know either. We could talk about the 100-day project really quick if yes, you want to. Please, so please. really quickly, I'm doing it. You're not. No. I wasn't going to do it. Uh, and then I, ha- I got a really good idea. So I feel like I feel compelled to do it. You surprisingly don't feel compelled to do it, which is great. You have a lot on your plate and you shouldn't do it. Um, so that's, that's good. Um, emotional sobriety. (laughs) Yeah, but I have FOMO. 
I now today, <laughs> today's the first day of the project. And I'm like, why am I not doing the 100 day project? Like, am I that busy? I'm sure I could find five minutes to do it. Now I'm feeling like, like I want to do it. Well, you have a few hours left in the day, so <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know. But so, so can you give us an idea of what you're doing? Or what is yeah. So, so this is what I'm doing. I am doing a hundred patches for recovery. And so what I'm doing is I'm making these, uh, the sizes are arbitrary, random. Um, but I came up with a hundred words like recovery associated words Mm -hmm. and I'm going to stitch them onto little scraps of fabric, fabric from, you know, my studio, all recycled fabric. Um, and I may embellish them or whatever, but they're like, they could be like a pet. I don't know what I'll do with them once I'm finished with them. Who knows? Maybe I'll put them up in my marketplace, but yeah, they're going to be like little patches, you know, like a patch you would sew on a jean on a pair of jeans. Okay, okay. Yeah. I was just thinking like Girl Scout badges things type. So, so no, like, or that, or like or... a round. Okay, is it going to be a circle or a square? Well, or probably you know? square. Probably okay. squares. Nice. I work. I work better in squares, but. And you're going to stitch every day. Yeah. Wow, I love it. Does, it. it won't, yeah, it won't take very long to whip out, you know, one word. It's yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see this, Sandra. That sounds amazing. I am too. I am too. I I this is one I feel like I could do. And I did do some preparation. I wrote out all the words. So, and I don't know if I'll go in exactly the order, but whenever I use a word, I'll mark it off. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know. Hopefully I'll finish this one this time. And you know, and maybe I'll bulk up on a few if I if I'm on a roll. Um but I, yeah, I feel like uh, it's almost like um, when I was writing my book, uh, I could see the the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I could I knew the beginning, middle, and end. And this is the same kind of feels like the same kind of project to me. Like I, I think I I almost think I could see it through to the end. Now we'll see. Check with me on day. <laughs> You know, 52. Yeah, those middle days are hard. Those middle, (laughs) when the hundred seems still really far away. Right. But But you've come so far. You've already been doing it for over a month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last year was the first year that I did a a 100-day project. And for those of you who are listening who don't know what it is, you can go to the100dayproject.org. It'll tell you all about it. Or you can look at hashtags on Instagram for the 100-day project. It is an Instagram project. I should yeah we should clarify that yeah I mean you could do it on your own I guess but mm-hmm. but yeah, if you sharing. want people to see it right it's on Instagram do you have a unique hashtag for yours so I do yeah that? so it's gonna be hashtag 100 patches for recovery oh I love it Sandra that is so cool yeah, yeah. I, am, I am feeling a little FOMO but I think I have to stick to um, to not doing it this year. And that will be a practice for me. Yeah. I love a daily project. I love a weekly I know you project. Do. I love a yearly project. So, uh, last year I had done illustrations, uh, every day, um, mm-hmm. in the hopes of using it for a book or something. And that never quite came to be, but that box is still there. The work is still there. I can pull it out and use it for other things if I want to. 
Um, and that's kind of going to be what I was thinking today. I'm like, why don't I do that again? I'm going to be making these, but anyhow, I got to stop. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Sandra, help me. I am going to delight in watching everyone else do it, which will be a practice of me of saying no to myself, which it's we talk practice. about, which we talk yeah. about in this interview about no period and, and not to others, but just to myself that like, if you do one more thing, you might crack. Right. Tammy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Oh, okay. Well, I, I'm looking forward to following along. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. And, and if you, uh, there's a lot of women in our secret Facebook group who are doing it. So again, if you want to be in our secret Facebook group, um, join us. Yeah. Just send us a message on Facebook saying, Hey, I want to be added to your Facebook group for the podcast and we'll add you. We have like 350 ish women. We're getting close to 400, I think. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I do want to say one thing. Uh, I know you and I haven't talked about this, so please add it, you know, jump in. Um, our secret Facebook group is, you know, w what we talk about on this show is definitely how our creativity has fueled our recovery, but it is a safe place to talk about recovery. I think that's to be, yeah, that you make important something. to say. I, yeah. I did add that caveat um, to something someone had posted this week. She had prefaced it by saying this isn't about creativity, but in I I said that in the comments. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do welcome all sorts of engagement. Um, yeah, obviously, kind, respectful engagement, but we yeah. we. You know, encourage all kinds of engagement, struggles, victories, et cetera. So it definitely doesn't have to be purely creativity uh, focused. Yeah. And I, I mean, that is what we share there on Fridays with our creative stuff. But we with, um, you know, we, we promote on Fridays, creative share Fridays. You can self promote. But the other days of the week, if people need support or check in or saying I'm new to this group and I'm whatever you're um, whatever you're dealing with, that's a really safe place to get some feedback. And, and what I think I've found in our group too, Sandra, um, what I've noticed, um, and I think this really delights me, I don't think it, I know it, is that everything has a nice solution base to it. We don't stay stuck in kind of the problem very much. Um, not that you can't have problems, but that people are coming back with like these really awesome solutions and another perspective, which I think is key when you're struggling. Mm -hmm. So you, you list your struggle and then you have 350 women that might read it and think like, oh, that I have something for that. I can help with that. I can give you a tool. I can tell you what I did or what worked for me. That's what's really beautiful and kind of magical about the Facebook group. And I don't know, I know I've been so kind of spread thin with social media that I haven't spent a lot of time maybe fostering that there. I try to. Um, but I used it Friday night for a struggle that I was having. Um, and I did a little live video because I didn't have time to type it up. And I was totally met with support by the ladies in there. And even the next day, I read your beautiful comments, Sandra, like the next morning that people saw it and had really helpful, constructive things to say. And it yeah, really I agree. Through, it really helped me through a rough weekend. And so if anybody else needs that, please use that platform. Um, and we would be happy to have that there. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. All right. Okay, should we jump in to introduce yeah. our guest? Let's talk about our guests. All right, why don't you go ahead? I've been chatting. Why don't you do the first Okay, part so today we have our friend Andrea Kressel. 
on the podcast. Um, we met Andrea through another secret Facebook group, one that Tammy and I met in. Um, but just to give you a little bit of Andrea's background, she is a marathon runner, mom of two young kids, yogi. She's an occasional actress and creative drama teacher higher and higher education administration administrator, excuse me, um, passionate about teaching educators how to integrate arts and technology into the 21st century classroom. Throughout the course of her career, she has taught creative drama and acting across the country and abroad, served as an arts administrator in undeserved communities, developing and overseeing programs in arts, sciences, and humanities humanities that tied to school curricula and has worked professionally as an actress. Yeah, she has that kind of exciting, you know, um, foundation to all of her work and how it keeps folding into her work. She keeps creating this beautiful life. And um, we did meet her at the Secret Facebook group, and um, she was a ray of light interview of mine for my series. She was number 38. Um, if anybody wants to read more about her story there, um, she is in the process of undergoing a 200 hour trauma informed yoga teacher certification. And she hopes to use this for her work in education and in the St. Louis recovery community. And you can follow her on Instagram where she posts lots of photos of her puppy, cat, and her kids. And you can find her at A N D E M underscore K. And yeah, I hope I hope you guys enjoy her interview as she was just a delight. Yes, we loved talking to Andrea, so you guys enjoy. Hey Andrea. Hello. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. I'm so happy to be here. Oh. We are so happy to have you. Can you tell us where you are in the world right now? I am in St. Louis, Missouri. It snowed the other day, which was really a surprise for Easter Sunday snow. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had to cancel Is that a late our snow? Yeah. yeah. For us. I mean, usually it's, it's springtime by now, but, um, but it was icing and hailing and sleeting and it didn't know what it wanted to do. So we stayed home and watched Jesus Christ Superstar, the, mm-hmm. the live musical. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that, that one. I miss, well, they, they did a, an updated modern version, right? Yeah, it was really good. Um, Judas was amazing. Um, and it was definitely the best live musical production they have done so far, <laughs> in, in my opinion, at least. I've Maybe never, you can still catch that, that yeah. somewhere. I'll bet you that. can on Hulu. Mm-hmm, I bet you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, because you, Sandra, I know you're a big musical theater fan, right? I am a big musical theater fan, which is a surprise. I, I haven't... I don't, I say I haven't always been, like, I was really into um, Disney music Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Like, I had all of the Disney albums. Oh, yeah. uh, Including, like, Sound of Music. And so I was super into that. But then, um, you know, not, I wouldn't say that I was a huge uh, musical theater fan uh, when I was in college. But then... But since my kid has really gotten into musical theater, then that mm-hmm. has really grown my passion again for it. And you're right. I love it. I, if I could, yeah, in, a, in my next life, I will be a musical theater <laughs> performer in the meantime. 
I may get to live vicariously through my kids. Yes. I, I did a lot of musicals when I was younger and, um, I'm trying to get my kids really into it and it's working. I think, um, we're going to see Hamilton on Thursday and my kids are pretty little. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm so excited. I saw it by myself in Chicago and they still give me a hard time. In fact, my five-year-old said, mommy, you're not coming with us on Thursday because you've already seen it. Oh, but actually, <laughs> actually I'll have you know that I, I will, I will be going with you. Right. <laughs> Cause you need a driver. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we have like musical theater Tuesday where we listen to musicals, um, in the car and I don't know, I'm just trying to get them into it because, because I love it and it's fun to share, share our loves. Uh, so well, let's just dork out on Hamilton for one. Yeah, please. Okay. I'm sorry, Tammy, I keep interrupting you, but. <laughs> no, 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 go. Uh, you're going to see it in Chicago again, I take it, right? Oh, it's actually here in St. Louis this week. Oh, it's in St. Louis. Yeah, oh, that's here. so exciting. Okay, because I was going to say, you're going to have a new Eliza. Um, oh. Yeah, because Ariana Offsar, she was Eliza, I guess, for like a year in Chicago, and she just um, oh. stepped down. She just retired. But anyway, you're not going to that production. You're going to St. Louis. That's so exciting. Yeah, so we hadn't planned it. I don't have season tickets, and I hadn't planned on going because it was they just went in a second um, for non-season ticket holders. I don't even know if they were available to non-season ticket holders. Um, but a friend of mine, her mom is an usher, and told me that tickets just kind of became available quietly. And so um, I just booked them through MetroTix. It was great. That's exciting. Yeah, I had a really hard time focusing on anything else the day that I booked them, but... <laughs> <laughs> I was just running through the halls, telling everyone and getting <laughs> kind of like polite smiles back. <laughs> it was mesmerizing, though. I mean, it was from the start. I mean, they started right at, you know, right on the dot at whatever time they started in San Francisco. And just from the get go, it was just captivating, just captivating from the beginning to the end. It was beautiful. I was in like the top row of the top level and I was sitting with um, two moms and two daughters and they were so sweet they they brought me into their kind of mother daughter fold and um, we just cried through the whole thing mm. bald I bawled yeah. like like ugly cried yeah when the light <laughs> like my up. children were comforting me <laughs> <laughs> yeah when the lights came up I was just like kind of I don't know I mean I, I knew what happened in the end obviously and I was just right. like kind of stunned <laughs> And then we had to make our way, you know, I don't know, Sandra, were you, I think they've moved the show since I've been there, but like you had to go all the way down. It took a really long time to get out of the theater. And so I just like was just crying the whole way out by myself. Collecting was, yourself. That's right. It was wonderful. <laughs> so I'm super excited. I uh, love when a musical can do that, right? Or any kind of art that can kind of move you any and art, right? sear you that way. It's really... Yeah. Yeah. This show really just kind of got me excited about about theater and musical theater in general again. I'd kind of shut myself off from it for years and um and it just like opened up that whole world to me again and it's been really great. Um well, we yeah. should, do you want to talk about yeah. that? Do you want to talk yeah. about, should we, go, I mean, normally we start with yeah. your sobriety story, but we, that's, since we're already here, you know, can yeah. you tell us about your creative path and kind of your career um, path and where, where you started and where you're at? Sure. Um, so I, I'm an actress, um, formerly by trade. Um, I started acting when I was 11 and, um, I 
you know, I did lots of shows in high school and studied voice and went on to college. Um, I didn't get into the theater program I wanted, which was devastating. So I ended up going to a liberal arts college in Missouri um, and majored in theater and uh, made that just my passion and dedicated myself to that. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I graduated, uh, so I took I was taking this independent study class because I needed a few credits, and it was right at the the dawn of the internet. And my professor said, "Hey, you like to teach children's theater? Why don't you look up some children's theater companies and find yourself an internship this summer?" So that's what I did. That's I the first big t- project I did on the internet was locating an internship. So I um, I moved to Seattle and interned with the Seattle Children's Theater right after graduation. And then I did like some funny kind of, I tried to do a touring theater gig. It lasted one week with my friend. We were homeless in Petaluma. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Oh. That did not work out. That's near um, me. You were near me. I, I was. I was near you. And um, I think that's the last time I've been, no, I've been to Northern California since, but only one time. I need to revisit that area because um, I was a little traumatized. Um, so yeah, we were, we were homeless. We joined a gym to shower for rehearsals, and then we ended up just both leaving um, for, for obvious reasons. So um, then I, I, I kind of, when I graduated from college, I just really wanted to travel. So I, I lived abroad, and I did a little teaching abroad in London. And then I got home, and not long after um, 9-11 hit, and I was kind of trying to figure out where I wanted to live, and it had been between New York City and L.A., um, and after being in London and after 9-11, and I had been doing some acting for the camera work, I decided that L.A. would be my next move, so I moved out there with a friend, and then my now husband joined and I attempted a career in acting, but really I waited tables and did a little teaching and occasionally went on auditions because um, I just had a really hard time putting myself out there and believing that I could really um, make it in that business. I, uh, I It took me two months just to get a serving job. And I think that just that right away hurt my confidence, which sounds kind of silly, but I was like, I can't even get a waitressing job. How am I going to act? Um, what, around and, what, what year was this around just to give a frame of reference? Oh, sure. So I moved to LA in 2002, 2002. Okay. I was there until 2007. Okay. Yes. That's when I returned to St. Louis. Um, so I did, I did do some work, um, and I had moved out there. I already had, um, my union credits, um, when I moved out there. So I, you know, I felt like, okay, I have, I have some, a couple credits. I have my union ties. I'll, I'll be fine. Um, but it just, you know, it was just so hard for me to commit to the belief that I could do it. Um, I will say that I, I trained the whole time I was there. I had a really good acting teacher and I did a little bit of improv with the groundlings. And I will say that when I left LA, I believe that I was the best actor I could be. I really, I really feel like I cultivated that craft and, and, and it was, it was in a really beautiful place. I just didn't have the confidence to back it up. Hmm. I have a question about that. You know, the performing arts feels slightly different than other creative acts. Yes. Because you really have to get used to the pain of rejection. I'm Right? Yeah. Do you think that uh, wanting to escape that feeling ever contributed to, like, alcohol abuse or do you see a lot of that in that Um, industry oh well I think at least for where I from where I was I was 
in the restaurant business. So I was in the restaurant business in LA trying to be an actor. So my alcohol use was, was out of control, <laughs> frankly. Um, and yeah, so I, I guess I'll, I can touch on it in my story, but I kind of figured out that I could drink to alleviate, um, my anxiety. And the entire time I was in LA, I was like, I was untreated for anxiety and trying to do this passion of mine that I had been telling everyone and telling myself that was the only way I could live. And, and it, I just, I, I honestly didn't really believe it. So I was drinking and then I was working in the restaurant business, which is a completely respectable field, but it just wasn't my dream or what I wanted to be doing. So then that, you know, that didn't help either. Right. So you just have to be very, you have to have another level of resilience, I think, to um, be a performing artist, I feel. I mean, just only experiencing it through my kids, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, 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 you really have to get, grow a thick skin. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I had it to a, to a degree. It just... I could, I could handle the rejection of an audition. It was always, I was so grateful to have the audition, but it was just like, how do I get the auditions? How do I meet the people? A lot of walk is, you know, your audition starts when you walk into the casting office or onto the stage. And so sometimes, you know, there was so much pressure to present my best self, but I mean, I was in my twenties and I don't want to sound cliche, but I didn't know who that was, you know? So, yeah, sure. um, so that was that was hard for me too, just to figure out who I was and what I was doing, and is this really what I wanted to do? And do I want to go to this networking thing? Do I want to pay for these casting sessions? Um, you know, is this what I want? And I don't. I think I knew it wasn't what I wanted, and but um, but I had told myself for so long that that was, and I had a really. It was like a like an internal struggle. I didn't. Um, I didn't know what else I would do. Right. If I wasn't an actor, you know, who was I? Who was I? Um, so my um, my husband, we got married in 2006 and we're, we're both from St. Louis and he got an opportunity to um, get promoted back home to St. Louis to the headquarters of his um, company. So it was kind of a no brainer. They said, hey, we'll move you home. You get a promotion. You get to, you know, we got to be with our families. So I said, fine, that's fine. I'm done. So we packed up and and moved home. And um, when we got home to St. Louis, I had been working in fine dining and had really gotten no wine. And I took my first job in St. Louis was as a wine rep, which, as you can imagine, that did not go well. and oh my gosh, I understand that world. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know you do, Tammy, because you owned a wine bar, right? Yeah, but those wine reps, that's, I mean, that's your job and you are yeah. slinging and pushing and you mm-hmm. have carting around a case or two of wine with you every day and drinking the leftovers, right? Because you don't want it to go to waste. And you don't, yeah. you don't spit either. Nobody spits out no. the wine. My <laughs> ex-husband, well, I worked in the restaurant industry for decades as well, and my ex-husband was a wine rep. So, yeah, I'm yeah. also very familiar oh. with that world. Yeah. Don't yeah, want to waste I mean, we it. Always, I do. Like, we always had, like, a nice stash. I remember coming home, and my husband was, like, playing video games, drinking a $150 bottle of wine. I was like, what are right. you doing? Um, yeah, so I didn't last long. I only lasted a few months because it felt like I – you know, in the restaurants, you usually have like three managers who um, usually there's at least one who's a little bit hard to um, work with on an emotional intelligence level. Um, and then I had 50, suddenly 50 managers I was working with. And not only that, mm-hmm. I I think I was aware, 
I didn't know that I had a problem with alcohol for a very long time, or at least not consciously. And I remember saying to my husband, I don't think I, I think I could become an, an alcoholic if I stay in this job. I think I better leave. So I only lasted three months because I would drink all day long and, um, yeah, and, drive. and there was an event. Every yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so luckily I got out of that safely. Um, and I started to um, teach creative drama for several different uh, organizations and acting classes here in St. Louis. Um, I'd been doing that since my internship. I, so I've taught abroad and I taught in L.A. So, um, so I, teach, um, I teach acting to all ages and improvisation. But I, I really love teaching this creative drama discipline, which is basically for about three to six-year-olds. And you kind of take them on an imaginative journey. Um, using character and emotion, I often would use a children's book and kind of take that as my um, as my starting point. And I also I always say that I think I miss my calling as a children's librarian. I love I love children's <laughs> picture books. So I incorporated that pretty much whenever I could in those classes. And um, I started working um, offsite um, in kind of more underserved schools. And I discovered that I really enjoyed being in the classroom environment and bringing different learning experiences to classrooms. And also, by doing that, you're kind of giving teachers embedded professional development. So they're they're observing you and they're picking up what you're doing and then they can integrate that into their classroom if it's a success. Um, so I started working in arts integration so that I could actually help create some of those programs and um, and help manage them in schools and worked with a great roster of teaching artists. I did that for about five years. Um, How satisfying that your work is kind of blooming, right? And going oh, out into the world. Yes. yes, it was. And it was one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. I, I went back to school and I, um, I got my, my master's in um, communication arts and with the emphasis being on aesthetic education. So that kind of hands-on education in the classroom, which in this day and age is really great for the kids because they're, they don't, really absorb information via lecture anymore because of their, because of all the technology and all the different um, communication modalities that are available now. Mm -hmm. So giving them the opportunity to learn through different um, avenues, especially through the arts was really exciting. And um, I just, I fell in love with that. Unfortunately, when you, um, I guess, I guess I left around, I left that around 2013. When you work in the arts and you work in the schools, some of the first things to get cut in the school budgets are arts, so outside mm -hmm. art programs. And then um, then that then affects the bottom line of the arts organization. So my position got cut to part-time. And at that time, I had two kids. So I was almost, it felt like I was a volunteer. And I was kind of getting frustrated because I'd you know, been working on this advanced degree and it felt like I was never going to get kind of recognize, you know, the, the financial, the financial, um, and, uh, you know, just some finances cause it was hard to yeah. uh, pay for daycare. Yeah. So I, I had been working in, um, as with a partner in higher education. So I just decided to maybe transition to working in higher education and see where that took me. Um, so I, um, came to one of the larger, uh, universities here in St. Louis and I've been working there for since 2013, and it's been great. I um, I've kind of moved a bit, as you do when you work in a university. But I've landed in a in a position where I'm managing um, education programs for an institute, and we're brand new. So we, I'm actually getting to work with the director to create 
these um, higher education programs. And so I'm able to use my creativity that way. And it's leading me to think about even more school because I just, I just, I love to learn and then regurgitate that basically um, out into the world. So that's kind of where I am in terms of well, career. That, <clears throat> that's so great that you've been able to be creatively satisfied as an educator. Yes. I, 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 I love that, that you've gotten to um, transfer that and it, and it satisfies you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you always hear those, I hate that snarky sort of statement that says um, those who can't do teach, right? right? But it really negates the importance of being a teacher because... Yeah. Without the teachers inspiring the doers, we wouldn't have the doers. Right. Um, and and since you've done both as well, uh, I I don't know. I think that that's just a beautiful way to transition your passion. Right. It's been a very natural transition too. I especially in the last well, since I've gotten sober, I've um, I find myself not pushing things as much and just kind of following things more organically. Mm, um, yeah which is great. Um, I was like a, my, I used to project everything. So, you know, looking, what do you guys call it? Future tripping. I used to Mm -hmm. future trip all the time. Um, and it's much, much healthier not to do that. And I find that, um, things kind of work out much better that way. Um, so I'm not even working, you know, I'm working in the sciences now, which, um, not even having to do with acting, um, but I, it's so great because scientists are so similar, I think, to artists. And um, I really enjoy being in that, um, that scientific academic environment. Because it's so its own I, creative I, world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the science, but um, I pick up what I can. And it's just, I don't know, I just, I find it to be a really, really interesting, diverse environment to work in. I, I was chatting with my art professor, and I'm, I'm, she's quite a mentor to me. And I was asking her, you know, so when do you make time for your personal work? And um, where do you show? And who is representing you? Which gallery? And she, and she tells me all of these things. And I said, and, and, and so you teach. So why, why, you know, why do you teach when you, you said she's such an incredible abstract artist? And she says, it fills up a part of me that making art doesn't. She said, I, I love to make art, but there's this other thing that I like to teach it. And it fills mm-hmm. up this other part of my brain, this other part of my soul that just I need to be able to teach. And she says, I can do both. I, I do both, but I can't just do one. Like, I like having both of them, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. del- like she's become she's a great painter, but she's really into ceramics right now. And it's like her passion. She's kind of stopped painting and ceramics yeah. is kind of taking over. But she follows like where it leads to like what you're saying. And I think I think that's that's such a great because it's an evolution to be an artist, right? You're not just mm-hmm. one thing. And uh, the fact that you love your higher education, I'm, I'm enjoying that as well. So I can see, yeah, it's very satisfying um, as we as we get older, too, and kind of have this wisdom about our, our own selves, which it sounds like what you've been going through with, with um, I imagine, when you quit drinking, it's just a whole other world that you discover about yourself. Yeah, and it's still, I mean, I'm, I quit on January 1st, 2016. So I feel like I'm just now starting to realize how things have changed for me personally and kind of where things are going. It, it took a while to kind of, cause when you're, you know, when you're in the thick of recovery, it's hard to know where you are and what's, <laughs> what's happening. You're just 
going one day at a time. So, um, I feel like now that I've, Oh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just feel like now that I've had a a little bit of space from that quit date, you know, things are starting to feel a little more open and I'm starting to have a little more, I guess, revelation around everything. Can you tell our listeners how old you are, Andrea, just so the frame of reference? Of course. I'm 39 and I quit drinking when I was 37. Um, I'll be 40 in July. Okay. And, and we met through the home group, right? The home secret Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And, um, you had commented on some things and I was interested in what you had to say. And mm, I, you, you were kind enough to do an interview for my ray of light series. Yes. I loved being a part of that. Oh, I love that series. I'm just, I've been going back and rereading some of them and they're just so great. Um, and I just, I thank you because I know you weren't super out and about about everything, but you seem like you were dipping your toe, Kind mm-hmm. of, and obviously you're coming on our show here, so we appreciate right. that. <laughs> We're not quiet about things on the show. No. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know. It's not that I've been quiet about it. I guess I just because I I don't have like a, a medium for sharing. I, I mean, I have an Instagram page, but I don't have a medium for sharing my journey. Um, and I guess I don't know. It's I just haven't put myself out there as as much as I could or would like to, I guess, is the more appropriate thing to say. Yeah, because you don't have to if, if you're in recovery. You don't have to put yourself out there. That's all choice. You know, people right. are anonymous. People, you know, I know that you don't identify with the word alcoholic or you didn't when I did your interview. Um, I what do you think about that now? You know, I think um, I think that as humans, we have an addictive nature. And I think that some of us, myself, being the some of us, um, have more tendencies to addiction. And so mine is alcohol. I, I don't know. I still don't know if I feel comfortable with the word alcoholic. I don't know why that is. I, I haven't gotten really deep into that yet, but, um, I definitely know that I can't drink it. I know that if I pick up another drink that I'll have one or two, maybe a week, and then it'll go to every night and then a bottle and, you know, it'll so on and so forth, so forth. So I know I can't do it. So maybe that makes me an alcoholic, maybe not. I just know that I cannot do it. Yeah, and I think that's all you need to know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really. it. You, you had a problem. <laughs> Don't need with a word. Addic- yeah, right. You drank too much of an addictive substance, so right. it's it's can be a natural progression of things. Yeah. What, um, so while we're on the subject, why not? Can you tell us about sort of maybe the? I know you've touched on your drinking story a little bit here and sure. there, but. Can you kind of tell our listeners how you came to sobriety? Yes. Um, so I, I started drinking when I was 15, and um, it was really more kind of like for the thrill of it. You know, it was it was more exciting getting the, the Zima because it was 1994 or something when I started drinking, um, or the nat- natural light um, than it was to actually drink it because I was I, – I didn't like the idea of not having control over myself. So – Um, I didn't really start drinking and drinking until I was in college. Um, and then I became like the party girl. Um, but everybody drank a lot because I don't know, we were in Missouri. Maybe, maybe everybody didn't drink a lot, but everybody that I hung out with did. Um, so it didn't seem odd to me that I would have night after night of pretty big binge drinks. Um, I, but I did well in school and, um, didn't seem to be an issue, but it was when I, I think when I was about 22, um, I had kind of a traumatic experience happen. I was living abroad and I'd only been there for about a week. And I just remember, um, 
going to drinks with friends, going to get drinks with friends. And I had like a something, you know, a vodka something. And I just remember feeling this like warmth through my chest and all that anxiety and kind of icky feelings that I had just kind of dissolved. So, um, I think that's when I figured out that I could drink to ease my anxiety, which I didn't real I didn't know I had anxiety at the time. I just knew that something bad had happened and I wanted to feel better. Um, so when I was in LA, as I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, I was struggling. And so I was also working in the wine, you know, in, in fine dining and I was very interested in wine. So I was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't drinking a lot. I was doing a lot of research, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I had to learn all the, the yeah. varietals and tawar and all that. Um, right. So, um, you know, I didn't realize what an issue it was, but I, I think looking back on it, I was pretty ill actually, mm-hmm. um, just mentally and physically. Um, and when we moved back to St. Louis, that's when we kind of started to settle down. I, I did that wine thing and realized that was a bad idea. Um, so my, you know, until, you know, maybe that first couple of years until I had kids, we, we had some outings where maybe I had to question my drinking, but it was, um, when I had kids and I was kind of more settled that I realized that, um, that I, I realized that maybe there was more than, an, um, than just like a, you know, a couple glasses of wine here and there. It was more of a problem. Um, and I, I read this essay by a fellow St. Louisan who's been on your show, Becky Vollmer, um, and also a fellow uh, yogi in town. And, I, it was like a light bulb went off because here's this person who has a very similar path to mine writing about why she got sober and her sobriety story sounded kind of a lot like what I was going through with, um, you know, being in the checkout line and my kids saying, mommy, you forgot your wine or, um, you know, just laying on, I like put my kids to bed and just lay on their floor until they fell asleep with glasses of wine, um, you know, things like that. So her yeah. essay, I think, oh, it's called love yourself enough. Yes. That's yeah. It. Yeah. So she talked about these morning signs that she was noticing that led her to sobriety. And I had very similar warning signs. And I normally would not read something probably like that at the time, had it not been, you know, shared by someone that I respected and it was written by someone that sounded kind of like me. Um, and so that kind of, a little, little, little light bulb in my head. And I'm sorry, did you just happen to stumble on upon that on Facebook or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah Facebook. It was one, somebody from my yoga community. Um, they shared it. And I was just thinking, oh, this kind of sounds like me. And I kind of put it like in my back pocket and started to kind of think about it. What would that mm-hmm. look like? What would that feel like? Um, and then... I, I don't even remember what specific, oh, I know what it was. I, it was Halloween. I was so focused. It was, my kids were three and five and I was so focused on where my wine was and like what I was doing with my wine. And I was kind of missing that, you know, the Halloween moments. And I guess that having read, you know, having read that essay by Becky and then kind of noticing this thing on Halloween kind of put it all together. And that's when I started to try to get sober was, um, so it took me like, you know, it took me a couple tries in that first two months, but luckily it stuck, um, January 1st, 2016. Well, I think, I think Becky was fairly early on in her sobriety of just looking at the dates. So right. That's like March of 2015. She wrote this essay and 
you took that year, it sounds like, or the rest of that year after you read that, or probably the whole year, right? Because you're thinking about it, you're reading this essay, and then you get to Halloween, and you, you're thinking about, you know, what you're thinking about. <laughs> you know, trick-or-treating trick and wine-drinking is like a big thing for gals, right? Like, it's a, mm-hmm. that's what we do as moms, uh, mm-hmm. what we did. And then you got to the new year, and you decided to do it differently. And I think, um, I think that's what's so powerful about one woman sharing her story. Right. So Becky writes this essay, not knowing she's totally just doing it to get it out of her brain. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And to put that out into the world and that it filtered and and found you, you know, through your yoga community and that you're here today and we're chatting about it. It's like you never know what's going to help somebody. You never know. That's why I think about chatting about this stuff. You know, I totally respect others anonymity. But but for those of us who want to chat about it. It's really this beautiful kind of trickle down effect. Um, you don't know who you're gonna who you're gonna help. Exactly, and that's. I mean, I feel, I've, I my sobriety has been so um, important, important in the. You know, it's been kind of one of my sole um, focuses or foci, um, and I feel like it's been it's opened up this whole world. And I, you know, if going on this and and maybe someone hears it, maybe one of somebody that I know even. Um, I, maybe it could do the same thing. So I think that's that's why I am so happy to be on this and to kind of start sharing my story. Yeah, it's important. It's important. And, and like I said, you don't know how you're going to affect someone. So you're right, Andrea. Somebody could listen to this later on um, and really, really feel the power of your words or your story or it's going to resonate with them. I think that's what happens in the rooms a lot for me is I hear mm-hmm. snippets of people's story. Um, and one that I've said on this show multiple times is when I heard Sandra's story um, on the Sense Right Now podcast, which those guys are in St. Louis with you, right? Um, yeah, Chris they are. and Matt. And, yeah, they are. <clears throat> but when I heard Sandra on there and I listened to her and I listened to it again and I was like, wow, hmm that lady has what I want, you know, that I liked how she talked about her sobriety. She didn't seem depressed. She seemed like, um, she seemed like she had herself together and that's what I wanted because I was feeling so dark, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and kind of punishing about quitting drinking and who I was and all the wreckage. Um, but it was like the first time that I heard someone that I was like, wow, she just turned it up. She just turned up the volume and really brightly. And so, I'm gushing over you, Sandra, but um, it's really, it, it made an impact on me, obviously. Here we are, you know, and yeah. um, and also that you can do these things. You can reach out. So you, you, you are friends with Becky, take classes with Becky, or how does that? So I actually hadn't met Becky. Um, I, I, so we... I mean, I, she, I sometimes taught at this, at my, at my home studio practicing yoga, which is the best place ever. Um, she, she sometimes teaches there and, um, I know that she teaches other places around town. Um, but I didn't actually meet her until I got, I got sober. Um, another girl in the home group and I went and found her at one of her yoga classes and, um, and that's how I met her. And so since then I've done some work. She does these great workshops around town. I did a workshop with her and I did the retreat on new year's with, um, Laura McCowan a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've kind of met her that way and she's, she's wonderful. It's so nice to know that she's here in St. Louis. I don't, I don't see her all that often, but it's nice to know that she's yeah. here. You know, it's, She's a light too. I mean, yeah, she she's is. just amazing. She's just an amazing, um, 
friend and human being and, and the work that she's doing too. And, um, yeah, you're so lucky to have a, a, a community of, of, um, in your yoga community too, right? Yes. Our, yeah. my friend, I have friends that yoga is their recovery, so they don't mm-hmm. do the rooms or other things. Um, but they, but yoga is their church basically. Is that, that how is that right. is for you? Yoga and running. Mm. Um, so I, um, I started yoga, practicing yoga after I ran a marathon because I felt kind of beat up. <laughs> um, and cause I, as much as I love running it, you know, it's, it's very meditative, but you know, you have to kind of, it, it's kind of becoming hard on my body. I'm realizing it's hard um, on the body. Yeah. It really it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, so 26 a, miles in a row, you did that all yeah. in a row. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, wow. I ran the, the New York City Marathon this past November, and wow. I ran it injured, oh. um, which was not a good idea. I still haven't recovered. Um, I'm like, I tried to, it. I did like the last 10 miles as kind of like this hobble run. It was it was pretty oh. sad, but I finished. Um, but I still have it. My hips are still kind of tight, and I still kind of feel off kilter since since doing that so thank okay, goodness Andrea. for yoga okay Andrea we have to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> let's get go go why, Sandra <laughs> why why would you why did you feel, feel like you needed to run the marathon even though you were injured so the New York City marathon is very hard to get into um, okay. unless you're super fast which I am not um, okay so I had submitted to this lottery five years in a row and I finally got in and my husband happened to be running it too So we had this big trip to New York City planned, and of course I'd been training. I I didn't get injured until my 20-mile run, so I had done all the training, and I was just like, damn it, I'm going to do it. Um, Determined. You were not. Yeah, I wanted the experience, too, because like running through those five boroughs is pretty incredible. Um, I'm sure. The Bronx was my favorite. Um, But yeah, I, I had to do it. So it was not the way I wanted to, but I finished and I did, I mean, I did eventually have to stop running and I did what I needed to do and I made sure to eat and take, you know, do things like that throughout the course of it. Cause it took me almost six hours. <laughs> it was supposed mm-hmm. to take me about four. So, um, it was an extra two hours that I hadn't planned on being out on that course. Wow. Well, maybe not four, but more like four, you know, it, it just, it was, um, it was hard. To, well, it to sounds be. it sounds amazing, like an amazing experience, and I'm I, and I mean I'm saying that I probably would have done the same thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> but even even though I I think I would have also questioned why on earth you feel like you need to do something even though you're injured, you know, like either you could change your mind. There's other marathons you could right. run again in five years, who knows? But I mean, I get it. I probably would have made the same choice and, you know, and paid for it. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I'd, I, I think I, so I saw a physical, uh, my friend's husband is a physical therapist and I was like, am I going to permanently ruin my body? And he said, no. And okay. he gave me some exercises to do and he gave me like a compression thing to wear, or he told me, he told me what kind of compression thing to wear. So I, I was able to push through it, but just the compensation of pushing through it kind of made me sore in other areas. Like, you know, my hips are all sore, my IT band. Um, so I've been really laying off of the running um, since then. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get back to training for something, but I'm not going to train for anything until I'm not in pain anymore. That's probably smart. Okay. So let's go back to <laughs> right. your yoga story. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, oh, I started practicing 
about four years ago after, after running my first marathon, I've done three and, um, it, I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd done some like flow videos, but that was about it. And for some reason I went to, I went to just a flow class, not a beginner class. And I was really behind, but for some reason I just felt called and pulled to come back. So I just kept going back. And then I figured out that I really loved it and that my body could do things that I, I had no idea that it could do. Um, and then just being in the present moment and only focusing on your breath and the movement was really powerful for somebody like me who, like I said, I project a lot or I future trip. You can't really do that when you're practicing yoga. It's really difficult to, like I've tried. Um, so it, that was just really powerful for me to, to recognize that I could be present and, um, and also I just, yoga is really fun for me. I love that I can play in a handstand or, or you know, whatever. It's just like, it, it makes me feel really young to, mm-hmm. to do it. And, um, the people that I've met have been really incredible. So I, um, I signed up for a teacher training and I'm about one module into it. There's three modules and it's through this nonprofit organization in town called yoga buzz and they have a trauma informed emphasis. So I, I wanted to do that cause I wanted to deepen my practice, but I'm really intrigued by learning this trauma informed practice, being somebody in recovery and wondering how I can bring that out into the recovery community in some way. So I still am not sure, you know, how I'm going to do that or, where I will do that, but it's definitely driving a lot of this motivation for the training. That's interesting. So did you know that there was, it was a tra- trauma specific when you signed up for it or was it that just I did? Yes. Um, yes. So I like the mission of this. Um, so there, there are a lot of really great studios in town that offer trainings, but this um, studio in particular is it's a nonprofit. It's not even a studio. So what they do is they, they do pop-up events all over town and they also um, work with um, with a lot of the community to bring to make yoga accessible to all body types and to all um, socioeconomic um, statuses. Because you know, a lot of times we see yoga and kind of like you know, people like me, blonde white ladies, doing yoga in, in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is that yoga is for everybody and bringing it into the into the whole community and making it accessible to all body types. Um, another thing I'm excited about is we're learning how to do, um, to make yoga accessible for ch- like people that can only be in a chair. So my mom has multiple sclerosis and I'm interested mm-hmm. in kind of showing her how to, to use yoga. Um, maybe she's not in a chair, but she can't, she can't do the full range of motion. Hmm. So kind of teaching her how to modify Wow. My sister has MS and she, um, I bought her a yoga glow subscription for her birthday last year. Um, and I, I did it. I renewed it again this year. So it's every month because it was getting really hard for her to get to a studio. She has three kids and works and, um, being able to do it at home, you know, and picking her teachers. So she takes a lot of Stephanie Snyder's classes. Oh, great. And I love I love hers. Yeah. And so she's just really getting into it. And her little girl, Jade, who's six and adorable, um, does it with her. And they meditate together and they, it's just really cute how they found these things that they can do and do from home and not have to, to 
go to a studio because it was too hard to figure out childcare and, you know, the schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's great. That's good to know. And it's got a very, very, um, a, a great tool for her with her, um, with her MS. Uh, yeah, I, oh, go ahead. I wanted to just oh, really quickly say that the name of that nonprofit is fantastic. Yoga Buzz. I yes. mean, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, because you do get that. You do get that. Woo. Yoga Buzz mm-hmm. after a good practice. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially for the non-drinkers, it's like, okay, we get a different type of buzz, right? That's a, right. a, a different high. Exactly. Uh, so do you do you want to do anything with this training? Or do you have a, a vision or an idea? Or are you not future tripping that? Are you just taking it? Um, I am trying to take it one step at a time, but I am starting to kind of, I guess, scheme a little bit. I mean, I definitely, I haven't been teaching a lot of creative, of creative drama and acting, but definitely having um, yoga is a nice tool to have for the classroom. Um, and also it's a great tool for classroom teachers to have. So mm-hmm. I would, I'm thinking about maybe how can I, can I offer some of that professional development but, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a huge part of the St. Louis recovery community. And so I'm hoping that maybe I can learn more about it and find ways to integrate it that way. Um, but I don't know, I'm kind of just playing it by ear and seeing what, what might happen. And we did have to kind of write a, uh, our own personal, um, um, our own personal statement. And I definitely said in that, that I, that I want to bring it to, um, to people who have mental health disorders and who are in recovery. Cause I just think it's so, it's, it's so good for us. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with Nikki Meyer's work at all? Um, I, yoga I, for 12 step recovery. Are you, have you heard of her? I'm not. Um, I know Becky took a, a training with, with Nikki after we met her at she recovers in May. Oh. And she, I mean, it is 12 step based. Um, so I know that you're not, you don't do the 12 steps, but, um, I think, I think it just informs you how to, how to teach yoga for recovery. That's her big thing. And so she does like a weekend training. It's like an intensive, like a three day training. So something to look, even just to look up her work, she's pretty phenomenal. She's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even like a huge yogi, but I could listen to her talk about yoga all day. Yeah. She's writing that down. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that, yeah, Becky could speak about this. I don't know that Becky is teaching that module, the yoga for recovery. Um, but I know that it's needed in, in Sonoma County where I live, there is no yoga for recovery classes. Really? And we live in a really big County. Yeah. And so the, the nearest one would be in Oakland, which is an hour 15 away. Um, which I would never, you know, do on a regular basis. And then Novato is another town <laughs> south of us, you know, about an hour. And so, yeah, to not have anything nearby. And so um, I have a friend um, that took the training with Becky and she's looking into that. And I think, I think it'd be so great. I think there'd be so, I mean, because it's recovery from, from all things. It's not just, mm-hmm. um, you know, alcohol is probably the focus of the Y 12 SR because of the 12 steps, but I think so many people can benefit from that. Oh, yeah. So, and, and Natalie said, and you would know this, I'm not a yogi either, but are there the yamas and the niyamas in yoga? Yes. Is that right? There are. Uh-huh. Okay. We we actually have been been talking about those uh, the last couple of weeks. And, and, and are training. there six of each? 
There are. Okay. I know there's there's five of each. Five of each. Okay. So th- th- something again. I am not the person to be talking about this, but clearly I am. But they were just talking about how those were very much in alignment with the twelve steps. Yes. And that's um, what clicked for my friend Natalie when she went to the training. She was like, "Oh my gosh, they're kind of the same." So. I can see the relation. I can see how this could be really helpful, you know. Yeah, there, there's. I'm, I actually, I had my binder in front of me in case I, hmm. in case I needed to refer to my notes. Um, <laughs> oh, a binder, a fellow binder lover. I love it. <laughs> well, they provided the binder. I do love a good binder, but they provided this um, for us, which is really nice. They give us all kinds of great materials. Um, but yeah, I. So one of the things that I've been focusing on, we've been, we actually ha- part of our. It's called homework. Part of our homework was um, to pick one of the yamas or niyamas to focus on. So I um, was focusing on asteya, which is non-stealing. And part of that is kind of like um, it's it's generous, generosity and not demanding more of our more from ourselves. So basically mm-hmm. setting boundaries. So that's something that I've had to do in sobriety that um, I may not have done before because I have such a clear understanding of what I like and don't like and what I want to do and what I don't want to do now. And as a, um, as a people pleaser, it's important for me now to set those boundaries. Right. So, um, so that's what I've been focusing on the last couple of weeks in my daily life. That's a learning, that's a learning for sure. Right. And and in sobriety, you just, it's, everything's more clear of, of where you didn't have them or where you need them or, yeah. Or just being able to say no, like that, 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 that was an option. Period. <laughs> so, so hard for me, um, but I'm, I'm learning to do it. Yeah. Sandra, I can't be a martyr if I say no. Well, right. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was, that was a deep learning. Just, yeah. Don't say yes. And then resent everybody and talk smack about them. Mm-hmm. Just say no. That actually say feels no, better. You don't have to create a whole um, story about your no either. You can just what? say no. <laughs> I like to create these long drawn out monologues to go with, with my no, but now I'm just trying to say no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if it's sobriety. I don't know if it's getting older, right? It's probably the culmination of just everything. Um, but just, yeah, that story, that creating the drama, kind of creating this whole thing. I was yeah. really good at it. I just, I just learned that. And, and I'm not blaming anybody, but that's what I learned through my life, you know. A lot of it modeled, um, a lot of it just created by me to survive or to get by, thinking that that's how it had to be. And it's pretty, like, it's a relief, right, when you can change that. Like, you can just say, yes, I would like that, or no, thank you. Period. It's kind of like also <laughs> when someone gives you a compliment, you don't have to be like, oh, no, no, no. Or this whole thing, you know, you can say thank you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. just yeah, and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I found that I like to just extend things around easy easy ends, you know, easy endings. Right, and that's the people pleasing part of us, yeah. you know, not wanting in, wanting anyone to feel everyone to feel good around us. Do, do I make you feel good? Oh, it's like <laughs> like it's your job. It's the perfect, you know, 
being a former server and a mom, it's like the perfect people pleasing mm-hmm. storm. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm really trying. It's something I have to work on. And it's funny because when I'm at home, I don't think that, that my family would necessarily say I'm the biggest people pleaser, but anybody else, I'm going to try to make you happy. But again, it's, it's setting those boundaries. I'm, I'm learning it. Yeah. And so you're, you're just a little over two years, you have over two years of um, Mm -hmm. continuous sobriety. And so has, has being a mom changed for you? Like, can we talk about mother, the motherhood piece a little bit? Um, Um, How's, how has that changed for you, I guess? Well, I definitely, so for starters, my kids, they know that I don't drink anymore. I mean, they know they'll say, Oh, mommy doesn't drink wine anymore. Or mommy, you know, doesn't drink anymore. Mm. Um, And uh, my son, who's a little older now, he's eight, he's asked me about it. And I said that it just, um, that, that, you know, my body can't do it. My body can't do it anymore. And, um, and he, he leaves it at that. He doesn't need to know more than that. He doesn't want to. Um, but I definitely just in general, you know, like, okay, here's new Christmas. I used to hate Christmas. I would get so angry because I had to do all this stuff and, and there was so much stress and Same. I, you know, mm-hmm. But now I, I enjoy it. I get excited. I'm, you know, thinking about things we can do with the kids or, um, you know, planning family outings. I, I look forward to it. And so that in general, I, I have become more of a homebody in my old age. So like getting me out of the house isn't as easy as it used to be because um, I work full time and these kids wear me out um, and I love my home. But, you know, when we make a plan and we get it's it's just nice um, to just do stuff with the kids and, and we're just doing stuff. I'm not doing stuff with my wine or thinking about when we're going to go to have lunch so I can have wine after, you know? Um, also just like, you know, just our regular routine. It was just, I always had the glass in hand and that's just gone now. And obviously I, I know what's happening at every moment because I'm present. I'm not in my glass. So that's been, um, that's been really huge actually. Um, and my daughter was three and my son was five when I got sober. So they were both really young. Mm. I feel, um, the other thing that I noticed was when I was pregnant both times, I was so resentful that I could not drink. I didn't, but I just, you know, yep. when I finally stopped drinking because I wanted to, that resent, you know, I don't have that resentment anymore, obviously, but just, just being aware that I had that is just, you know, having to kind of deal with that icky feeling that in my pregnancies, I was kind of angry because I mm-hmm. couldn't do what I wanted to do. Right. That highlights, that really highlights the, that difference, that shift in perspective of I don't get to drink versus I don't have to drink. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a complete, it's a complete, that, that just that shift is a complete game changer. Mm -hmm. It was for me. Yeah. And I don't know how that shift happens, Sandra. I just, I mean, I don't, you know, I guess I get, I got ideas kind of, you know, I started like the Becky Vollmer essay and then the Halloween and just little, little shifts happened. And suddenly I went from, I need a drink to, oh, I don't, I just, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. but it, I mean, it, it happens. Right. It does happen. And sometimes you can't, you're right. Sometimes you can't put your finger on what, what made that shift this time, what, mm-hmm. what it was specifically. And it was probably just many, many little things that created the shift. Yeah. 
I think um, in Becky's essay, she was chatting about, um, you know, her little girl was like, um, mommy drinks wine, mm-hmm. you know, I drink milk and you drink wine. Yes. Like, and just that a little kid just knows that. Right. And mm-hmm. sometimes, I mean, I have to be honest, like when I was drinking, I thought that was just really funny. I thought it was great that oh, I let yeah. my kid pour wine into my wine glass. Um, I did that stuff all to make it seem like it was acceptable and fine. And mm-hmm. I look at that now and, um, again, always working on my judgment. But when I see, see things on social media where the kids are pouring wine for their parents or there's a story where it's really cute that they're the sommelier at the party, you know, and they're five. Right. And it just is like this little twinge. It's like it, it feels so familiar is what it is. And so when I look at the, those images, I think like, oh, God, how did I think that was okay? Well, and we also know where the story goes. I mean, yes. my kid was mm-hmm. much older when I quit drinking and he started getting very resentful. So that that they start to catch on after a yeah. while. It's no longer a cute little show. Um, it's a, you know, it's a shit show. <laughs> and, <you laughs> it's know, a show, all right, but it's a different <laughs> show. Yeah. You know, they they start they 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 get it. They get what's happening. They start mm-hmm. feeling unsafe. They start, yeah, you know, becoming resentful. They start rolling their eyes. I mean, I just you guys talking about that. I started thinking about my son, like rolling his eyes, like, ugh, you're really gonna do this again, yeah. you know, and just really being over it. Yeah, yeah, it's um. I, I, I wish I had had, I, you know, I can't go back, right? You don't regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. But some of those nights, you know, I, I'm i really glad I was married to the man I was married to, right? And that he mm-hmm. could um, be the responsible parent on duty is what I always called him. Um, I resented the hell out of him for it. I mean, that wasn't, I didn't like that at all. But I am so grateful for it because someone needed to be, (laughs) you know? And so as a, as a mom now, I'm hoping, um, my kid says he doesn't remember when I drank, which he was 11. So I, you know, I don't know if he's saying that. I'm not sure what, what the deal is. Um, and maybe that's a story for him to tell another day. But, um, I, I think that my hope is that later on down the line, when he gets older, he can look back and remember like, Oh, my mom was going through this time. She was doing this thing. She did this podcast. She wrote a lot. She got went back to school. I'm hoping that he can glimpse it. Um, not that I need the pat on the back from him, but I hope that he can see it for his own story. Mm-hmm. And and maybe as a cautionary tale that I maybe I need to keep an eye out for this. This runs in our family, you know. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I hope I hope that my kids will eventually do the same. Even though you know, I don't, I don't even know if they'll remember. But like I said, my, my, my husband drinks not, you know, not excessively by any means. In fact, since I stopped drinking, he barely drinks at all. Um, but when he, you know, when he does, my son notices, he notices everything. He notices that I like certain flavors of LaCroix more than others. So I definitely think, <laughs> I think that he'll notice that he'll, I think that there's discussion there that, that we'll be able to, um, to have when he's a little older. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. I know we don't ask this on our podcast, but maybe we should at the end of every show. So what is your favorite non-alcoholic? Um, is it LaCroix? Oh. Is it the... <laughs> so, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so I can't... Um, I really... I, yeah, I like LaCroix a lot. Um, I I like the I like the Target brand a lot. They have... Um, that is good, yeah. They have a really good ginger peach. But there's this kind that um, that my friend and I get sometimes when we get, are on our lunch break. It's this like giant can from Whole Foods. I can't even remember what it's called. We think it's it's huge, and I I love that one, but I can't remember the name of it. But it's like my special occasion, um, <laughs> type sparkling water. Um, but I mean, I'm always I'm always happy to have a little pamplemousse in the house. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you mm-hmm. sent me the best card. I have it right here. You sent me a, a card. It says, pop the bubbly water. La, congrats. And it's like, a, it looks like a can of LaCroix, but it says, la, congrats. And That's I just have great. to, I have to say your handwriting should be a font. I don't know if you've heard oh, that before. It, so I, I got it. So this card, you go online and you, you pick, you type it out. And then oh. they send it quickly. So that is not my handwriting. My handwriting is not very much. Oh, because I'm like, this is the most. <laughs> That's I know. Great. I had to confess. I would have loved. I would have loved everyone to think that is my handwriting. No, I was like, this name. woman knows how to write. This Actress, is <laughs> yoga teacher, uh, um... font creator. <laughs> no, no, that is that's not me. You can't like would be able to read my oh. handwriting. Well, you, so I'm looking at the back of it. It's postable.com. So you can go to Postable and you pick all these fun cards and then you pick your font and then type whatever you want. And then they send it directly to the person. Oh, I love it. That is clever. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. You're so sweet because, um, again, our thread of connection, that's what I love about the sober community is um, it just... Like I said, you don't know where you're going to meet people or who you're going to, you know, resonate with or where you're going to, you said you that you did the mantra project with Holly, you know, and that I did the artwork for. And just to see all of these little connections um, keep, uh, you know, again, that word bloom for me, it's just, it's, it's lovely. And yeah. um, I was so excited that you agreed to come on today and chat with us. And, and um, I think our listeners are going to love it. And, and we just everybody's story is important, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and this creative life that you, um, you know, when you started down your path with acting and and what you do now and how you've created this career that you just keep, it seems like you're a total seeker and student of Mm -hmm. life, right? Learn. Yeah, I do too. And that, that seems like, um, you know, a really healthy way, especially now that you're not drinking, right? That you can just really dive into Mm -hmm. the things that you really love. And uh, it seems like that trauma-informed yoga um, training that Taryn talked about on, um, Taryn Strong talked about, it seems really like that resonates with a lot of people in recovery, obviously. And uh, I wish you much success with that, whether you're going to do anything like personally with that, you know, like uh, um, whether you're going to be a teacher or like you said, incorporate it into your teaching. Because that seems like what you keep doing too. You keep adding to your toolbox of the kind of um, teacher that you are and I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, Sandra, do you have anything else before we move on no. to the toolbox? Or yeah, I want to hear Andrea's three yeah. things from the toolbox. Um, you got it. Yeah. What you got, Andrea, for okay. the unruffled <laughs> toolbox to share with our listeners? So, um, so this one 
heat. I so I, I used to hate being hot, um, but now I go to things that make me sweat on purpose. Um, ah. So I really like going to. Um, I don't do this very often, but maybe once a month I go to this to the infrared sauna. Um, mm. So it gives you those nice lights and um, you get your vitamin D and it's set at like 150 degrees and it's it's amazing um, so that's something I love or just you know taking hot showers doing heated yoga I have a heating pad that I got because because <laughs> I hurt my back and I just always have it on now I just I love the heat so comforting for me um, and cleansing <laughs> Isn't that, I like hot stuff too. And I've always liked hot tubs and hot showers and things like that. But the more I'm like reading about Kundalini, you know, it's, they talk about how, you know, immersing yourself in cold water is really good for your adrenals, like fleshing mm-hmm. out, you know, sort of like a, like a shower cleans your skin and, and being immersed in cold water um, cleans out your adrenals, um, which I find fascinating. And I have tried to, uh, incorporate those things into my life now, but it's very hard for me. I, yeah. I, I resist, uh, cold, cold period. <laughs> yeah. I used to like kind of being cold and now I just don't. And so I do stuff to make myself sweat. <laughs> um, yeah. so I don't like the heat when I'm like wearing a suit and running to a meeting, but otherwise no. I, I enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Um, and so I, fiction is one. I love reading, um, reading, reading in general, but, um, I tend to read books that kind of match the mood I'm in. So this past January, I had kind of a a rough month. I had the flu and my, my, my dog that I got when she was a puppy, my first baby kind of unexpectedly died. And so I know. And so, so I turned to, to fiction actually as sort of one of my tools to deal with that. And I just read lots of melancholy books by Elizabeth Strout and Ann Patchett and it made me feel so much better. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's good. Yeah. I just felt like some like really kind of (laughs) Olivia Strout type or Elizabeth. um, Yeah. Elizabeth or Olivia, Olive Kitteridge. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've read Olive Kitteridge. Yeah. So that that helped my mood. I mean, it didn't like make me feel better, but it just matched kind of where I was. It validated your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so fiction's a favorite. And then my other tool is singing. So I, um, I've been singing for years. I used to take lessons and, um, do musical theater and I've just, I've been, I've started up again on my own and my kids have, you know, they get to hear it. Um, so it's just been kind of filling, you know, filling a space. And um, that's, all, that's all I have to say is that it just, it's nice to kind of find something that I used to do um, that I stopped doing because I decided I wasn't good enough or wasn't going to use it as my career. And, um, and bringing that back into my life has been really joyful. Well, then, so I love this. And so I have to ask you, which of the Schuyler sisters would you? you want to be if you oh. were cast in Hamilton thank you um that's a great <laughs> Eliza um, oh, you want to want to be Eliza really that's, that's more my vocal type I mean uh-huh. I I mean the character of Angelica would be more fun but but my voice would be more for Your a, voice like, matches uh right Eliza's songs I guess or yeah her songs yeah I would really I would want to play Angelica although sometimes her range is a little bit beyond mine but 
whatever. I still pretend. <laughs> and then I also pretend that I can wrap that that quick. Oh, wrap. yeah. I, I tried to do that. <laughs> satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> I see our world tour going to St. Louis. I oh, see. Down a little bit, please. <laughs> I think we need us to audition. Um <laughs> Yeah, so like my voice is um is like a, is like a Disney princess voice, and it's it's, it's kind of like my my it's like very soprano y. So my daughter gets to hear me do lots of princesses for her. Oh, that's that's <laughs> well, and and I never thought of Eliza's character as sort of a princess <laughs> but, <laughs> until I saw Hamilton. Um, in Chicago, and the actress that played her that we I mentioned at the top of the show, she sang that very Disney. She was very Disney princessy to me. And yes, I, I did you did you notice I think that? That's who I saw. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I yeah. did. Yeah, and so it, it so it didn't really strike me uh, that her character didn't strike me as as princess until I saw her play it, and then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and maybe that's why I leaned more towards Angelica, even though, but I've, I make my son laugh all the time because I tell him that I'm going to audition for Angelica and hope that they would, you know, (laughs) consider an older Angelica. (laughs) Do you horrify him or delight him? Oh, totally. (laughs) Makes him laugh hard. I love that. Uh, when you guys were talking about this earlier, I had a flashback to a memory um, when I was a little girl, uh, eight maybe. Um, little Orphan Annie made quite an impression on me. Oh, and yeah. I sang The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, like that, you couldn't shut me up. And I really wanted to be in the play. I wanted to go audition for it because there was auditions in L.A., and I practiced my singing. I would go on drives with my father in the truck and he would say, I'm sure he just must have been giggling. Like, just like, he'd be like, so why don't you practice that song and I'll listen. And I would just belt it out. I mean, I'm sure he was just laughing. Right. You know, and um, and I remember a family member, our family relative came to visit and um, they wanted me to sing it. And this is my claim to fame. I've not really sung it since. I just want you guys to know. And um, I wouldn't sing it in front of everybody. All of a sudden, I got this, I got self-conscious. And so I said, can I go behind this wall here and sing it? And the relative said, if you don't use your voice that God gave you, he'll take away that talent. (laughs) Oh, that's frightening. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that's what happened. no longer have that talent um i was on a quest to get baptized a lot and find god because i was like who is this dude that took away my talent (laughs) so that made me when you guys were talking earlier i was like oh i used to want to do theater i used to want to until you were traumatized traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) gee why do i have a problem with god i don't know But I think that it's so, like, I love, I do love going to theater, uh, musical theater, and I have a friend locally that her son is quite a talent. And he goes, he he performs at the Cinnabar in Petaluma. When you said Petaluma earlier, I was wondering what theater, um, are you familiar with the Cinnabar Theater? I remember, I I know I've I've heard the name of the Cinnabar. Um, I 
I know I like I have I have like a whole list of theaters in my head. Um, oh, I'm sure. But well, I just meant when you were on your California World Tour when you were. So I was. Oh yeah, that that <laughs> adventure. I it was like a little tiny uh, touring children's theater company. It was yeah. basically my friend called me on like on an actual phone, not a cell phone. I didn't have one of those yet, right. and he was like, "Hey, I just got this job in Petaluma, and and I gave them your headshot. Do you want to?" do this tour with me? And I said, sure, because I was 22 and I could do that. And so, um, and so I went and, (laughs) and then the hilarity of not having a place to stay while we rehearsed and not getting paid while we rehearsed and, and and then leaving ensued. But I'm glad that I made the decision to leave. See, I said no, even though I felt guilty. Um, (laughs) My mom also was like, damn it, Andrea, get home. (laughs) Okay, mom, I'm coming. <laughs> Don't have to tell me twice. Well, Ry- Winona Ryder is from Petaluma. That's their claim to fame, that that's her hometown. Oh. And yeah. the movie was shot there. Um, oh, American Graffiti. Yes. Yeah. I remember that was like a, that was kind of everywhere when I was there. Yeah. That's their big, that's their big, they have an antique car show once a year. Anyhow, this is, okay, we don't need to talk about Petaluma. <laughs> um, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on this show and yeah, talking Andrea. with us. Letting us share. Yeah, so it's great. Um, Do you have anything you want to promote, Andrea, or anything that you want to? Um, You know, I just I have my Instagram handle. It's really I post mostly pictures of my cat and my dog and my kids. Um, (laughs) You know, go see live theater, and maybe you'll see me at a yoga studio near you. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, Andrea. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.